from the heart of our nation's capital, here's Family Research Council President Tony Perkins. Well, good afternoon, everyone, and welcome to Washington Watch. Coming up on this Wednesday edition, in a 407 to 1 vote, the U.S. House of Representatives has overwhelmingly approved a bill that calls on the Trump administration to take tough action against China's concentration-style camps housing an estimated 1.5 million Uyghur Muslims. Now, the passage of the bill drew swift condemnation from Beijing. In just a moment, I'll talk with Senator Josh Hawley of Missouri, who was a key sponsor of the Senate version of the bill. The bill now has to be uh, agreed upon between the two chambers, and then it'll go to the president for signature. And last night, by a 13 to 9 party line vote, the House led. I'm sorry, the Democratic-led House Intelligence Committee voted to adopt and issue its 300-page impeachment report, which claims President Trump misused his office by seeking foreign help in the 2020 election. The matter is now with the House Judiciary Committee, even as we speak. I'll talk with uh, Congressman Warren Davidson about why he doesn't believe that the Democrats have made an effective case to impeach the president and what Congress is not getting done as a result of this removed Trump obsession of the Democrats. And for the past 20 years, military members have been able to voluntarily wear dog tags with Bible verses on them, giving them light and hope in some of their darkest times. But all of this could be coming to an end. I'll talk with Michael Berry, Chief of Staff for First Liberty Institute and the Director of of military affairs. Also, for those who remember, the the, uh, the individuals pushing for the redefinition of marriage and human sexuality, one of the claims they led with was, well, this won't affect you. Well, the evidence has overwhelmingly proven that statement to be false. Beyond those who have lost jobs and positions, the indoctrination of our children in our schools with sexual confusion, there is the latest debate that is now raging over the use of transgender pronouns. Some Christian leaders have put forth the idea of gender hospitality. What is gender hospitality? We'll talk about that and how Christians should respond with Professor Robert Gagnon, professor of New Testament theology at Houston Baptist University. All right, lots to cover today. The website, TonyPerkins.com. If you're on Twitter, it is at T. Perkins. Uh, by the way, let me thank uh, all of you who uh, called in and participated in our Giving Tuesday match yesterday. I want to uh, inform you that we met the match. In fact, we uh, reached uh, our goal and exceeded it uh, with uh, individuals calling in. We raised uh, over $119,000 yesterday meeting the match and fulfilling it. And so I want to thank you for that and for um, being a part uh, partnering with the Family Research Council. And uh, there'll be, in fact, if, if you didn't have an opportunity and you would like to uh, participate, um, we still have folks that are standing by that will take your phone call today. Uh, that number, again, if you were not able to participate and, and partner with us, and, and the need continues as this program comes to you through the work of the Family Research Council, not funded by the government or anybody else, just by folks like you all across America who care about faith, family, and freedom. So we've got folks standing by. Take your call, 800-225-4008. That's 
888-225-4008, or you can go to TonyPerkins.com. Okay, uh, the senators are running a little bit late, but let me give you a, a quick rundown on this bill. It, it originated in the Senate uh, back in September, and uh, actually uh, Senator Rubio was the key sponsor of the bill, met with him, discussed this uh, issue some months back. Uh, it came out of the Senate in, in September, went to the House. It's uh, The language was changed. Some would argue strengthened. I'm not sure we're still combing through to see what the effects of the changes were. But needless to say, it has China's attention. Uh, Beijing speaking out, uh, saying that uh, their efforts in um, uh, Xi and Zhong, where the Uyghur Muslims are at, is not an issue of religious oppression. Uh, it is not a human rights issue. Uh, it is an issue of anti-terrorism and anti-succession, uh, saying they're trying to bring in this ethnic minority. But the evidence suggests something much different, that these, as Chris Smith said, I'll, I'll quote Chris Smith, who has called these, uh, Chris Smith, congressman from New Jersey, um, has called, quote, these modern-day concentration camps. Uh, it is audaciously repressive involving mass internment of millions on a scale not seen since the Holocaust. We cannot be silent. We must demand an end to these barbaric practices, end quote. That's according to Chris Smith, who uh, has actually been on this program many times talking uh, not only about the the Uyghur Muslims, but other repressed minorities in uh, various parts of the, the world, including China, China being one of the worst when it comes to uh, religious persecution. So China uh, saying they are going to take uh, actions if this law is, or if this bill rather, is signed in to law. In fact, the Chinese state-owned tabloid, the Global Times, uh, quoted experts as saying Beijing will take quote strong countermeasures. Now China has denied any mistreatment of the Uyghurs and says the camps are providing vocational training. Now, this gets into something else we've talked about on this program, and we're going to continue to do more digging. In fact, uh, during the holidays, I plan on doing some, uh, maybe a special program on this, that U.S. businesses doing business in China, uh, there are reports that some are benefiting from essentially what slave labor, labor of uh, individuals that are in these camps. We've also got uh, reports now, Falun Gong, which is another religious minority that has been heavily persecuted in China, not to be confused with what's happening here in um, with the Uyghurs, um, but there are reports, just like what's happening with Falun Gong, that there is uh, organ harvesting that is taking place uh, in 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 some of these camps where these uh, Uyghurs are. Obviously, not volunteering to do this, but they're having their uh, organs taken. We've also talked about how the um, government has this uh, family program where uh, not people who are really family, but they come in and stay in the homes of some of these Uyghur Muslims as a part of their re-education program. If the the husband, the sons are in the prison camps, uh, someone comes in, a male, and will stay in the home. I mean, so it's just it's it's atrocious what is taking place, what the Chinese are doing uh, to the Uyghur Muslims. And there's no 
there is no evidence to suggest that there's a, a terrorism problem among these uh, Uyghur Muslims. Uh, so um, Congress speaking out very forcefully. And, of course, this coming on the heels of President Trump last week, uh, signing into law the Hong Kong Human Rights and Democracy Act, which we'll also talk to Senator Hawley if, uh, if, if he makes it. I know he's tied up. But he was a key sponsor of, of that bill in Hong Kong. Of course, China responding earlier this week. We talked about it on Monday, uh, denying um, U.S. military ships and planes uh, to dock or land in Hong Kong. Uh, now warning that there will be other uh, repercussions if the United States, if the president signs this latest measure, the Uyghur Act, into law. I have to say, I'm encouraged by the Trump administration. And, and in fact, I was somewhat, um, I, I wasn't sure when it came to the Hong Kong bill last week. Uh, and because of the trade issue and the reluctance historically of Trump, uh, I'm sorry, of Republican administrations from wanting to interject human rights issues into the uh, trade talks and, and that the, the two would become blurred. This administration has not shied away from that, uh, not afraid to advance this whole issue of religious freedom and human rights, even even with China, where past administrations have been afraid, afraid to disrupt the trade with China, even though we've usually come out on the, when you look at the trade deficit, we've come out on the short end of the stick. So I have to, again, this is another area this administration has been um, just get uh, high marks for uh, putting human rights, religious freedom above economic issues and concerns. That's that is uncommon. Does not happen. Has not happened historically. That goes back to uh, twenty years ago. Uh, actually, over twenty years ago. It's probably been twenty-five. Uh, years ago or more, when the debate was raging over giving, giving China uh, permanent most favored nation status when the whole trade issue began. And there were those raising the questions then about China's human rights record. And the argument was driven primarily from the business community. Oh, no, no, no. We'll change that. Yeah, it might be a problem. But by opening up the doors of trade, we'll do business with them. And problem solved. We, we will export our values and we'll import their materials, their products, and it'll be a win-win. Well, it hadn't happened that way. Um, by the way, if you've not seen the, the ad that we did about the NBA, you can actually watch, it, watch that on the website, TonyPerkins.com, where we've got, you know, the sports leagues, we've got businesses, Fortune 500 companies that are afraid to challenge China on anything. In fact, they're letting China, Hollywood, same thing, letting China run their business and tell them what to do and what they can and cannot do. And this administration, this president is standing up 
and he's doing it based upon the, 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 the blatant human rights violations and the religious freedom violations that China is engaged in. Now, he's still pursuing uh, trade talks, saying that, uh, in fact, last time I was in the White House a couple of weeks ago, uh, he was discussing that uh, they're close to a deal. Now, some have said that these two bills, the one signed last Wednesday regarding Hong Kong democracy, that that could upset the discussions on trade and, uh, of course, this one as well. But we'll see what the president does. I I, I don't think we're going to get the senator. I think he must be uh, tied up if we get him. We'll, uh, if we get him, we'll bring him in a little bit later if we can. We've got a full uh, full agenda uh, for today's program. So, look, uh, just to remind you what's coming up, uh, Senator uh, Congressman Warren Davis is going to be joining us with an update on the impeachment report that was voted out of the House uh, Intelligence Committee yesterday. It's now before the Judiciary Committee, even as we speak. We'll also be uh, checking in with uh, Michael Berry at First Liberty about... This is really, this is another example of what the attack on religious freedom that began under the last administration that we're still having to go and clean up. And this is an effort to remove Bible verses that are voluntarily placed on dog tags. So we're going to talk about that and pronoun hospitality. You heard that term? We're going to talk about that a little bit later. All right, folks, you're listening to Washington Watch, the website, TonyPerkins.com. If you're on Twitter, it's at T. Perkins. Don't go away. We're coming back with more Washington Watch and some guests in just a moment. Don't go away. Abortion is one of the most combative and sensitive moral and political questions in America today, even among Christians. There has been a renewed effort in theological liberal Christian circles to argue that the Bible does not oppose abortion. In light of these arguments, it is crucial for Christians to know what the Bible actually says about abortion. Does the Bible teach that life begins at conception or birth? Is abortion murder? In FRC's new publication titled, Biblical Principles for Pro-Life Engagement, Personhood, Scripture, and Church History, author David Clausen addresses these questions with relevant passages in the Bible that inform how a Christian should think about abortion, the question of personhood, and a survey of how prominent church leaders have interpreted these passages throughout history. Learn more by visiting frc.org unborn. That's frc.org unborn. Meadow Pollock was a high school senior who was tragically gunned down during the Parkland school shooting in Florida. In an emotional and gripping FRC Speaker Series event, her father, Andrew Pollock, and education expert Max Eden discussed the tragic massacre and the politically correct policies that allowed the Parkland shooting to happen. The Southern Poverty Law Center and the Obama administration promoted a false narrative that teachers and principals were racist and couldn't be trusted to enforce rules with consequences. Instead, they argued for healing circles and restorative justice. These policies enabled a psychopathic criminal to maintain a clean background and purchase a firearm used to murder 17 people at the high school. The Obama administration forced these leniency policies into hundreds of schools, serving millions of students across America. To listen to this event and to learn more, visit frc.org speakers. 
That's frc.org slash speakers. Religious liberty is one of the most... Welcome back to Washington Watch. I'm Tony Perkins. The website, TonyPerkins.com. All right. Uh, we were just talking about the uh, the Uyghur Act of 2019. And uh, joining us now is Senator Josh Hawley of Missouri. Uh, he was tied up, and he's just now joining us. Uh, Senator, thanks so much for uh, for joining us today. Thank you, Tony. Thanks for having me. Uh, let me. You were a, a sponsor of the Senate version of this bill. The the House version uh, a bit different. looks It looks actually a little stronger than the Senate version. But in essence, explain very quickly to our listeners what the bill will do. Well, it, it's important to to give the administration tools uh, to hold Beijing accountable for what it's doing to the Uyghurs. And, you know, what it's, the Uyghurs are, as, as you would probably, your audience probably knows, are an ethnic minority, a religious minority living within China. And, and Beijing is literally putting these people into concentration camps. I mean, I don't use that term lightly, but that's what they are. They're actual concentration camps. They're doing brainwashing in these camps. They call it re-education, of course. We've all heard that before. Uh, and this is the Communist Party attempting to enforce uh, it's and really to to shove down the throats of these of these people uh, their ideology and th- this is an expression. I mean, it, it, the bill in the House and in the Senate versions uh, would give the administration the ability to to stand up to this, and it also expresses the sense of the United States Congress that this is not something that we can allow to happen. And I, Tony, I think it's have a piece with the work we've done on Hong Kong. Uh, where it's vital to say to Beijing that oppressing your own people, that stamping out faith, that going after uh, people of faith and, and ethnic minorities is not permissible. We won't we won't allow it. And that uh, their their desire to dominate China's desire to dominate the world is not something we're going to stand by and watch happen. Senator, do you think the uh, Senate will work out the differences with the House and will get this bill uh, signed into law before Christmas? I don't know if it'll happen before Christmas. I, I hope so. Uh, um, I am, you know, I, I am uh, frustrated at the pace at which the Senate moves um, on uh, our range of fronts, and this this is one of them. I'm proud to sponsor the the bill, as you said, um, and I hope that this is something we can't take up. Frankly, I think this ought to be something that that we just that we do unanimously. I mean, I don't. This doesn't need to be a long process, in my view. What we did with the Hong Kong. Act, as you and I have talked about a number of times, is eventually we just took it to the floor and we just voted on the floor and it was unanimous out of the Senate. It passed by unanimous consent, it's called, where nobody even objected to it. So we didn't even have to have a roll call vote. I think we could do the same thing here uh, for the Uyghurs bill. But uh, however it's done, I think it's important to, to keep the pressure up and to press forward. Well, your work on uh, Hong Kong and the Hong Kong Human Rights and Democracy Act drew a a quick response from Beijing. They were not happy with that bill. They're uh, rattling the saber again, saying that, uh, you know, strong actions will be taken if this one is signed into law. Should we be listening to what China has to say? (laughs) No. Uh, You know, Beijing is, is always threatening. They're always saber rattling. Uh, but the truth is, is that uh, we are the ones here who are in the driver's seat. China needs our supply chains. They need our investment. They need our trade. Uh, they are not in a position 
ultimately to stand up to us. Now, they they want to be. I mean, what they want to do, Tony, as we've talked about, is China, Beijing, wants to dominate first the Asian region, and then they want to dominate the whole world. And they are working hard at that. Right. And we've given too much ground over the years. This is part of why we need to stand up now. But we should not listen to a thing that Beijing says. We need to go forward and stand up for our principles and uh, keep the pressure on China. I was talking uh, before you joined us about how I'm, I'm actually encouraged by this administration, even in the midst of trade talks with China, where most run scared, even in Republican ranks in years past and administ- previous administrations, are interjecting these issues right at the forefront, uh, human rights issues religious freedom issues. And and I, I have to commend the administration that I, I, I just they're leading on this. And it's so good to see Congress in, in one aspect coming together pretty much unified and standing with the administration on this. Well, it's great to have an administration that is willing to confront China and is willing to actually stand up and say, we are not going to allow you to continue to take our jobs, to steal our property, and then, as you, as you say, Tony, to run roughshod over the things we value most, like religious freedom, uh, like uh, freedom of the press, freedom of the assembly, the things that they want to deny Hong Kong, for instance, and what they're trying to do to the Uyghurs and others. So uh, I, I think that the president's absolutely to be commended. And, uh, you know, we, we have got to continue to keep the pressure up. This is going to – we're in for the long struggle here with, with China. Mm-hmm. We need to be realistic. I mean, this is yeah. going to be they – are, they are a threat to us. This is going to go on for years. And we, we have got we – are, we are starting here finally to show some strength, and we've got to keep it up. Well, uh, this is another good example of how to do that. Senator, thanks so much for joining us, and I appreciate all the work that you do on behalf of religious freedom and human rights around the world, including right here in the United States. Thank you, Tony. Thanks so much for having me. All right, absolutely. At uh, Senator Josh Hawley of uh, Missouri, to find out more, go to the website, TonyPerkins.com. All right, uh, I've got to move right into my next guest here. Um, yesterday, as I mentioned, the Democrat-led House Intelligence Committee voted to adopt and issue uh, a scathing report on the findings from the panel's impeachment inquiry, accusing President Trump of misusing his office to seek foreign help in the 2020 presidential race. Now, the uh, 13-9 to party-line vote on the 300-page report was a necessary step before the document could be transferred to the House Judiciary Committee, which has it right now. Joining me now uh, with uh, a quick analysis is uh, Congressman Warren Davison. He represents the 8th District of Ohio. Uh, Congressman Davison, thanks so much for sticking by. I know that uh, we were running a little late on that segment. I, I want to ask you first off, before I bring you in, if you can stick around uh, through the break, because I want to I talk with you about this, and I appreciate you joining us this afternoon. Yeah, thanks. Always great to talk with you, Tony. Your, your view on this, you say the Democrats – they don't have anything in this report. No, I mean, it's uh, it's all window dressing to cover for the fact that they don't have facts. And, uh, you know, uh, you know, the Republican witness today, uh, Turley, uh, highlighted that they don't have facts and they couldn't prove the case. And then they try to pivot and say, well, you know, this isn't a criminal case. This is impeachment. And so they want to shift to a lower standard because it's a political action while the, you know, the, the real requirements aren't met. 
If, if we're talking about the president of the United States removing him from office, I would think it would be a higher standard. All right, we've we got we to gotta go to a break. Um, you're going to stick around with us. I'm going to finish this conversation on the other side of the break. Folks, uh, Congressman Warren Davidson of Ohio, my guest. Uh, we're going to continue this conversation about the latest on the impeachment hearing. That's next here on Washington Watch. Don't go away. Heart of our nation's capital. Here's Family Research Council President Tony Perkins. Well, good afternoon, everyone, and welcome to Washington Watch. Coming up on this Wednesday edition, in a 407 to 1 vote, the U.S. House of Representatives has overwhelmingly approved a bill that calls on the Trump administration to take tough action against China's concentration-style camps housing an estimated 1.5 million Uyghur Muslims. Now, the passage of the bill drew swift condemnation from Beijing. In just a moment, I'll talk with Senator Josh Hawley of Missouri, who was a key sponsor of the Senate version of the bill. The bill now has to be uh, agreed upon between the two chambers, and then it'll go to the president for signature. And last night, by a 13 to 9 party line vote, the House led I'm sorry, the Democratic-led House Intelligence Committee voted to adopt and issue its 300-page impeachment report, which claims President Trump misused his office by seeking foreign help in the 2020 election. The matter is now with the House Judiciary Committee, even as we speak. I'll talk with uh, Congressman Warren Davidson about why he doesn't believe that the Democrats have made an effective case to impeach the president and what Congress is not getting done as a result of this removed Trump obsession of the Democrats. And for the past 20 years, military members have been able to voluntarily wear dog tags with Bible verses on them, giving them light and hope in some of their darkest times. But all of this could be coming to an end. I'll talk with Michael Berry, Chief of Staff for First Liberty Institute and the Director of of military affairs. Also, for those who remember, the the, uh, the individuals pushing for the redefinition of marriage and human sexuality, one of the claims they led with was, well, this won't affect you. Well, the evidence has overwhelmingly proven that statement to be false. Beyond those who have lost jobs and positions, the indoctrination of our children and our schools with sexual confusion, there is the latest debate that is now raging over the use of transgender pronouns. Some Christian leaders have put forth the idea of gender hospitality. What is gender hospitality? We'll talk about that and how Christians should respond with Professor Robert Gagnon, professor of New Testament theology at Houston Baptist University. All right, lots to cover today. The website, TonyPerkins.com. If you're on Twitter, it is at T. Perkins. Uh, by the way, let me thank uh, all of you who uh, called in and participated in our Giving Tuesday match yesterday. I want to uh, inform you that we met the match. In fact, we uh, reached uh, our goal and exceeded it uh, with uh, individuals calling in. We raised uh, over $119,000 yesterday meeting the match and fulfilling it. And so I want to thank you for that and for um, being a part uh, partnering with the Family Research Council. And uh, there'll be, in fact, if, if you didn't have an opportunity and you would like to uh, participate, um, we still have folks that are standing by that will take your phone call today. Uh, that number, 
again, if you were not able to participate and, and partner with us, and the need continues as this program comes to you through the work of the Family Research Council, not funded by the government or anybody else, just by folks like you all across America who care about faith, family, and freedom. So we've got folks standing by. Take your call, 800-225-4008. That's 800-225-4008. Or you can go to TonyPerkins.com. Okay, uh, the senator's running a little bit late, but let me give you a, a quick rundown on this bill. It, it originated in the Senate uh, back in September. And uh, actually, uh, Senator Rubio was the key sponsor of the bill. Met with him, discussed this uh, issue some months back. Uh, it came out of the Senate in, in September, went to the House. It's uh, The language was changed. Um, some would argue strengthened. Uh, I'm not sure we're still combing through to see what the effects of the changes were. But needless to say, it has China's attention. Uh, Beijing speaking out, uh, saying that uh, their efforts in um, uh, Xi and Zhong, where the Uyghur Muslims are at is not an issue of religious oppression. Uh, it is not a human rights issue. Uh, it is an issue of anti-terrorism and anti-succession, uh, saying they're trying to bring in this ethnic minority. But the evidence suggests something much different, that these, as Chris Smith said, I'll, I'll quote Chris Smith, who has called these uh, Chris Smith congressmen from New Jersey, um, has called, quote, these modern-day concentration camps. Uh, it is audaciously repressive, involving mass internment of millions on a scale not seen since the Holocaust. We cannot be silent. We must demand an end to these barbaric practices, end quote. That's according to Chris Smith, who uh, has been, actually been on this program many times talking uh, not only about the, the Uyghur Muslims, but other repressed minorities in various parts of the, the world, including China, China being one of the worst when it comes to uh, religious persecution. So China uh, saying they are going to take uh, actions if this law is, or if this bill rather, is signed in to law. In fact, the Chinese state-owned tabloid, the Global Times, uh, quoted experts as saying Beijing will take, quote, strong countermeasures. Now, China has denied any mistreatment of the Uyghurs and says the camps are providing vocational training. Now, this gets into something else we've talked about on this program, and we're going to continue to do more digging. In fact, uh, during the holidays, I plan on doing some uh, maybe a special program on this, that U.S. businesses doing business in China, uh, there are reports that some are benefiting from essentially what slave labor labor of uh, individuals that are in these camps. We've also got uh, reports now of Falun Gong, which is another religious minority that has been heavily persecuted in China, not to be confused with what's happening here in um, with the Uyghurs. Um, but there are reports, just like what's happening with Falun Gong, that there is uh, organ harvesting that is taking place uh, in 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 some of these camps, where these uh, Uyghurs are obviously not volunteering to do this, but they're having their uh, organs taken. We've also talked about how the um, government has this uh, f- family program, where uh, 
not people who are really family, but they come in and stay in the homes of some of these Uyghur Muslims as a part of their re-education program. If the, if the, the husband, the sons are in the prison camps, uh, someone comes in, a male, and will stay in the home. I mean, so it's just it's it's atrocious what is taking place, what the Chinese are doing uh, to the Uyghur Muslims. And there's no, uh, there is no evidence to suggest that there's a, a terrorism problem among these uh, Uyghur Muslims. Uh, so um, Congress speaking out very forcefully. And, of course, this coming on the heels of President Trump last week uh, signing into law the Hong Kong Human Rights and Democracy Act, which we'll also talk to Senator Hawley if, uh, if, if he makes it. I know he's tied up. But he was a key sponsor of, of that bill in Hong Kong. Of course, China responding earlier this week, we talked about it on Monday, uh, denying um, U.S. military ships and planes uh, to dock or land in Hong Kong. Uh, now warning that there will be other uh, repercussions if the United States, if the president signs this latest uh, measure, the Uyghur Act, into law. I have to say, I'm encouraged by the Trump administration. And, and in fact, I was somewhat, um, I, I wasn't sure when it came to the Hong Kong bill last week. Uh, and because of the trade issue and the reluctance historically of Trump, uh, I'm sorry, of Republican administrations from wanting to interject human rights issues into the uh, trade talks and, and that the, the two would become blurred. This administration has not shied away from that, uh, not afraid to advance this whole issue of religious freedom and human rights, even even with China, where past administrations have been afraid, afraid to disrupt the trade with China, even though we've usually come out on the, when you look at the trade deficit, we've come out on the short end of the stick. So I have to, again, this is another area this administration has been, um, just gets uh, high marks for putting human rights, religious freedom, above economic issues and concerns. That is that is uncommon, does not happen, has not happened historically. That goes back to uh, 20 years ago, uh, actually over 20 years ago, it's probably been 25 uh, years ago or more, when the debate was raging over given, giving China uh, permanent most favored nation status when the whole trade issue began. And there were those raising the questions then about China's human rights record. And the argument was driven primarily from the business community. Oh, no, no, no. We'll change that. Yeah, it might be a problem. But by opening up the doors of trade, we'll do business with them. And problem solved. We, we will export our values and we'll import their materials, their products, and it'll be a win-win. Well, it hadn't happened that way. Um, 
By the way, if you've not seen the the ad that we did about the NBA, you can actually watch it watch that on the website TonyPerkins.com, where we've got you know sports leagues, we've got businesses, Fortune 500 companies that are afraid to challenge China on anything. In fact, they're letting China, Hollywood, same thing, letting China run their business and tell them what to do and what they can and cannot do. And this administration, this president is standing up, and he's doing it based upon the the, the, the blatant human rights violations and the religious freedom violations that China is engaged in. Now, he's still pursuing uh, trade talks, saying that, uh, in fact, last time I was in the White House a couple of weeks ago, uh, he was discussing that uh, they're close to a deal. Now, some have said that these two bills, the one signed last Wednesday regarding Hong Kong democracy, that that could upset the discussions on trade, and, uh, of course, this one as well. But we'll see what the president does. I I, I don't think we're going to get the senator. I think he must be uh, tied up if we get him. We'll, uh, if we get him, we'll bring him in a little bit later if we can. We've got a full uh, full agenda uh, for today's program. So, look, uh, just to remind you what's coming up, uh, Senator uh, Congressman Warren Davis is going to be joining us with an update on the impeachment report that was voted out of the House uh, Intelligence Committee yesterday. It's now before the Judiciary Committee, even as we speak. We'll also be uh, checking in with uh, Michael Berry at First Liberty about... This is really, this is another example of what the attack on religious freedom that began under the last administration that we're still having to go and clean up. And this is an effort to remove Bible verses that are voluntarily placed on dog tags. So we're going to talk about that and pronoun hospitality. You heard that term. We're going to talk about that a little bit later. All right, folks, you're listening to Washington Watch, the website, TonyPerkins.com. If you're on Twitter, it's at T. Perkins. Don't go away. We're coming back with more Washington Watch and some guests in just a moment. Don't go away. Abortion is one of the most combative and sensitive moral and political questions in America today, even among Christians. There has been a renewed effort in theological liberal Christian circles to argue that the Bible does not oppose abortion. In light of these arguments, it is crucial for Christians to know what the Bible actually says about abortion. Does the Bible teach that life begins at conception or birth? Is abortion murder? In FRC's new publication titled, Biblical Principles for Pro-Life Engagement, Personhood, Scripture, and Church History, author David Clausen addresses these questions with relevant passages in the Bible that inform how a Christian should think about abortion, the question of personhood, and a survey of how prominent church leaders have interpreted these passages throughout history. Learn more by visiting frc.org slash unborn. That's frc.org slash unborn. Meadow Pollock was a high school senior who was tragically gunned down during the Parkland school shooting in Florida. In an emotional and gripping FRC speaker series event, 
Her father, Andrew Pollock, and education expert Max Eden discussed the tragic massacre and the politically correct policies that allowed the Parkland shooting to happen. The Southern Poverty Law Center and the Obama administration promoted a false narrative that teachers and principals were racist and couldn't be trusted to enforce rules with consequences. Instead, they argued for healing circles and restorative justice. These policies enabled a psychopathic criminal to maintain a clean background and purchase a firearm used to murder 17 people at the high school. The Obama administration forced these leniency policies into hundreds of schools, serving millions of students across America. To listen to this event and to learn more, visit frc.org slash speakers. That's frc.org slash speakers. Religious liberty is one of the most... Welcome back to Washington Watch. Tony Perkins here, your host, the website, TonyPerkins.com. All right, as I was mentioning before the break, uh, for the last 20 years, military members have been able to wear dog tags with Bible verses on them, not paid for by the government, nonprofit doing it, but that could all be coming to an end. Why? Joining us, Michael Berry, Chief of Staff for First Liberty Institute and the Director of Military Affairs. Michael, uh, thanks for sticking around. How are you doing today? I'm doing great, Tony. Good to be with you. All right, uh, Mikey Weinstein, uh, popping up again, founder and president of the Military Religious Freedom Foundation, is complaining about these dog tags. What, what's what's his beef? Well, they have perpetually offended uh, Mikey Weinstein. Has complained that our client, First Liberty Institute's client, Shields of Strength, and, and its founder and president Kenny Vaughn that he makes and and distributes and, in many cases, gives away, donates out of his own pocket, uh, these replica dog tags that just have an inspirational or motivational or encouraging reference to Scripture, or sometimes uh, it'll just be literally the words without any reference to Scripture. But apparently, uh, according to Mikey, uh, you know, no good deed goes unpunished, and he wants, he wants the military to, uh, to go after our client and to prevent them from being able to do that. Now, just so I'm clear on this, what we're talking about, these dog tags that are made by a nonprofit, the issue is that they are, the, the dog tags have the emblem of the military uh, branch of services, I understand it, which is requires a trademark licensing uh, from the branch of service. And what they're saying is you can't put a Bible verse if you have that trademark logo on the dog tag. Is that correct? Yeah. I mean, for example, on one side of the replica dog tag, it might have Semper Fi with an eagle globe and anchor, which is, you know, kind of the, 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 the common, uh, commonly used emblem for the Marine Corps. And on the other side, it might have a reference to, uh, you know, Philippians 4.13, right? And it just says, I can do all things through he who gives me strength or Joshua 1.9. Uh, those are some of the more common references. And those are just uplifting, encouraging, inspirational uh, verses. And, you know, but like I said, Mikey Weinstein seems to think wrongly, but seems to think that that violates the Constitution and that the Army should, uh, you know, should sue or, or take legal action against our client, Shields of Strength. Now, he has made um, over 4 million dog tags with these scriptures on. In fact, I, I think I actually have one. Um, this is not being paid for by the government. This is not government money. 
it is simply a nonprofit doing it that has the trademark license approval to to have that emblem on there. So there's there's no money here. There's nothing that's that, that the government is doing. So what ground does Mikey have to say that uh, these dog tags tags can't be produced and voluntarily worn by our members of the military? Oh, he has no ground to do that. It, it's it's really nothing more than a publicity stunt. Well, actually, it is more than a publicity stunt. It's a cowardly act because uh, Kenny Vaughn and I have met now. Uh, many service members, many, in many instances, gold star families, those, those, you know, those who have lost loved ones uh, in combat, serving in the military. And to them, these small tokens of, of faith and military service mean the world. And to deprive them or, or other families of the ability to have a small token of faith and military service is it's just the, the deepest insult you can imagine. And they tell us in tears, you know, how dare they deprive or deny somebody the ability to, to have just a dog tag that says, I can do all things. And on the other side, it says, you know, U.S. Army or U.S. Air Force or whatever. It, it's, a, it's a cowardly act by Mikey Weinstein. And uh, at First Liberty Institute, we, I, I mean, I just, I, you know, I can barely take it anymore. And I said to Kenny, we won't stop until we're able to allow, make sure that you are allowed to continue to provide these. And like you said, he's, he's produced almost 5 million of these now over the years, and he's given away approximately 2 million of those 5 million. Now, the, in response to Weinstein, the Army Trademark Licensing Program Director, Paul Jensen, wrote to your client in August saying, quote, you are not authorized to put Bible verses on your Army products. Now, what this sounds like to me, Michael, is that what we have are a lot of this holdover ideology from the Obama administration of hostility toward religious expression in the military, and it needs to be cleaned up. That, that's right. It, it, I mean, even more telling on that email, Tony, was the subject line of the email. The subject line said negative press, and then they cited, they, they attached the URL to an article highlighting Mikey Weinstein's complaint to the Army. So clearly their motivation for, for telling Kenny Vaughn to stop producing these, these uh, dog tags was simply the fact that Mikey Weinstein had generated some negative publicity and generated a little bit of heat on the Army, and they immediately raised the white flag and capitulated to that bully. And it's it, like you said, I mean, enough is enough. You know, when are we right. when are people in the Department of Defense going to realize that the Constitution, the First Amendment specifically and federal law, such as the Religious Freedom Restoration Act and other laws, they have to mean something. And it, and it, it, that those don't stop at the Pentagon's front door. Yeah, this is the the one area in this administration. They they've almost every agency has come into uh, alignment with the White House's religious freedom protection initiatives. The one area that still is lagging behind is the Department of Defense, and it's uh, I, I'm glad that First Liberty is there. You guys are on this because it needs to be cleaned up. Michael Berry, thanks so much for uh, for joining us today, and as always, appreciate the great work you guys do. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. Michael Berry with First Liberty. Find out more, go to the website, TonyPerkins.com. All right, I'm going to shift right into our next topic. Um, 
there is a debate of sorts in the Christian community over what pronouns to use for those who self-identify as transgender. Now, some Christian leaders have basically said, as a display of mercy, we should show gender hospitality. Not sure what that is, but is that not being dishonest? I mean, how do we show? both truth and mercy. Joining me now is Professor Robert Gagnon. He is professor of New Testament theology at Houston Bible University. He is the foremost authority on the Bible and homosexual practice. Professor, welcome back to Washington Watch. Thank you for having me, Tony. I should say Houston Baptist University. All right. What did I say? Houston Baptist. Oh, I'm sorry. Sorry, that's okay. The Baptists still use the Bible, don't they? Uh, one would hope so, yes. <laughs> that, that was a joke. That was a joke <laughs> for a Baptist. Um, let's talk about this because the th- there's this debate that's raging that somehow we should accommodate those who are confused about their gender, and that's showing mercy by using the pronoun that they uh, prefer. What do you say? Well, I'd say it's it's not considering a larger picture, first of all. Uh, when Paul deals, for example, with a case of immorality at Corinth, the case of the incestuous man in chapter 5 of 1 Corinthians, he's basically looking at three different dimensions. He's looking at how does this affect the community, how does it affect the God who redeemed you, and how does it affect the offender? And when we apply that methodology to this particular issue, it doesn't point in the direction of so-called pronoun hospitality, or generosity of spirit. In fact, to call a man a woman, to refer to him by feminine pronouns and a gender-specific feminine name is itself to pass judgment on the individual as having demeaned, degraded, and dishonored the stamp of gender that God as creator has placed on that person, which this person now degrades. So that actually would be an act of judgment, consigning them to God's judgment rather than helping them. I'm not saying create an immediate disturbance, but I'm saying that one thing we do not have a right to do is to speak an egregious lie that is abhorrent to God, that stumbles other brothers and sisters in the community of faith, and participates in the self-deception of the offender that can get that person sent to hell. I mean, Jesus himself said that you'll know the truth and the truth shall make you free. And I I would think that as representatives of Jesus Christ, followers of Jesus, that we should speak truth. Speak it as Ephesians says, speak it in love. Where we talk about mercy and truth, it's not about trying to condemn someone for the confusion they may have. But it's certainly not to play along and facilitate a deception, as you point out, that has not only eternal consequences, it has temporal consequences as well. Indeed. And how does it affect the other individuals in the congregation to call somebody by their pretend pronoun, which actually dishonors the person that God intended them to be, is to communicate a message to everybody else in the community that this is no big deal. When the reality is, when we actually look at the biblical text, uh, in Deuteronomy, even to dress, cross-dress a man that cross-dresses a woman, itself is a capital sentence. 
it's regarded as a Torah in Hebrew, which is the word for something that's an abomination or abhorrent, um, repulsive to God. There are a lot of things that God does within the biblical narrative that people think who are offending God, this is no big deal. But this actually is a big deal to God. Right from the beginning in the creation text in Genesis 1:27, when God talks about the creation of human beings in God's image, he's already talking about the creation as male and female. And while it's true that animals are also can also be gender differentiated, animals are not made in God's image. Uh, this text, Genesis 1:27, by bringing those two points closely together, being made male and female and being made in God's image, is a way of saying that how we treat our biological gender matters to God a great deal and has considerable repercussions for our own life. So it's not an issue that we can really treat lightly, nor are we really being gracious to the individual when we call them something that actually demeans what God has made. It's actually, again, participating in their judgment. So, Professor, why, why do you think that, you know, when you look at these issues, it, it, let's take in the New Testament where Paul talks about the you know various issues, whether it's homosexuality, adultery, fornication. I mean, there's the whole list of things. Why do we treat this issue of transgenderism and homosexuality different than the, the rest? Well, I mean, we wouldn't have a day celebrating adultery. We wouldn't, um, you know, right. uh, we wouldn't refer to them as they want to be referred to that you know, make believe that their relationship is okay when we know it's not. So why do we treat this differently? And you would, in fact, think the response would be the exact opposite consistently by the church, because not only is the issue of homosexual practice and transgenderism a case of immorality, but it's a case of high immorality in Scripture, because the male-female requirement for sexual relations is grounded in the creation text in Genesis 1, and Genesis 2, and made the basis, Jesus says, for all other sexual ethics standards. So it's, it's not just even taking like an issue that uh, is wrong, but uh, maybe it's not the worst thing. Uh, this, this among sexual ethic issues, uh, we're playing with fire at this point because it's regarded as one of those irreducible minimums of human sexual ethics, that God created us as a complementary sexual pair male and female, a sexual binary, the implication of which should be a limitation of two persons to a sexual union and many other standards. And for us to be able to tinker with that or play with that or with a wink and a nod, say, "Ah, you know, it's okay to avoid confrontation. I'll just use this feminine pronoun for a man or use this distinctively feminine name for a man. When in fact, we've lost the sense of of how egregious an offense this is to God to commit. Why do we do such a thing? Tony, you, I th- I'll take your question as a rhetorical question because you've spoken on, on this quite rightly many times, and that is that the church is simply responding to public peer pressure and ultimately wanting to be liked. This is not about being gracious to the so-called transgender individual who comes into the community. It's actually about... Uh, really not overly offending the broader culture to which we belong. Which, when it is in defiance of God, that's where we take our offense. It's not about us being offended. It Rather, it is about offending God. And that's where we say we can't go there. We just can't go there. 
You know, it's yeah. interesting that one of the texts that has been used by persons promoting this so-called generosity of spirit and pronoun hospitality is to cite Acts 17, when Paul goes to Athens and identifies for them who the unknown God is. The argument that they're making is, you see, he doesn't rail against them as idolaters and so forth. Well, but when he makes that speech about identifying the unknown God as the true God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and of Jesus, who raised Jesus from the dead, it's all within the same discussion, within sentences of making that statement about the unknown God. He's calling them to repentance for their idolatry and thinking that gods can be made in the image of human beings and of animals as statues and gold or silver or some other uh, element. Uh, he's rejecting that and condemning that right to their face within sentences of making the comment about the unknown God. Professor Gagnon, we're going to have to leave it there because, unfortunately, we're out of time. We could continue this conversation, and I hope we will at a, another time. Thanks so much for joining us today. Thanks for having me. All right, folks, we are out of time today. I would say when we deal with this issue, and some of you may be in these holiday uh, events, be prayerful, be compassionate, but be truthful. Until next time, I leave you with the encouraging words of the Apostle Paul found in Ephesians 6, where he says you've done everything you can do when you've prayed, prepared, and taken your stand. By all means, keep standing. Washington Watch with Tony Perkins is powered by the Family Research Council and is entirely listener-supported. For more information on anything you've heard today or to find out how you can partner with us in our ongoing efforts to promote faith, family, and freedom, visit TonyPerkins.com. Also, to leave a comment about Washington Watch, call our watch line at 1-866-372-7234. 